Welcome to the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about the week's technology news. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh17. We've got three hosts this week. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of thisistrue.com, the oldest entertainment newsletter on the internet weekly since 1994, and the semi-related spampremer.com. Leo? I'm Leo Notenboom, lover of coffee, corgis, and computers, not always in that order. And of course, the Leo behind AskLeo.com. Gary? I'm Gary Rosenzweig, and I'm a mobile game developer. You can find my mobile games at CleverMedia.com. And I'm also the host and producer of MacMost.com, where I post new Mac, iPhone, and iPad tutorials pretty much every day. Cool stuff. Yep. So uh, I think it's pretty clear what the big the, the tech news has been this week. Yeah, I think it's it's Facebook, 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 and maybe Facebook. <laughs> yeah. But what did you do this week? Oh yeah, yeah. let's back up a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> so excited to get onto that topic. We're excited. Well, you know. So so uh, you guys got home from our secret lair before I did. I took a detour on the way home, so I didn't get home until just a couple of days ago. But my big thing that, that's going on is actually in the future. We leave in the morning to go to Denver to see Hamilton. Ooh. Yeah. All right. A hottest ticket in town. I hear so It I, is. Yeah. And they sold out something like 35 performances in, you know, some number of hours. It was crazy. My next door uh, feed is just filled with people either, you know, begging for Hamilton <laughs> tickets. Anybody have any spare Hamilton tickets or how do I get them? Or we have an extra one who will buy it for a thousand dollars, that kind of thing. Really? A thousand dollars? Well, no, maybe I'm exaggerating. Slightly. Okay. <laughs> slightly exaggerating. Slightly. Yeah. Yeah. I think I did see $600. So anyway, so, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Well, my week had a different kind of turn to it. I uh, I came down with food poisoning Wednesday night. Ouch. I hope it wasn't from your fundraiser. Which no, no, no. What that happened a couple of days later, and thankfully, I, I was worried because Wednesday, I was, I mean, literally Wednesday night, I was feeling really, really bad. Um, but the good news is that because it was food poisoning, it actually blew through pretty quickly, so to speak. As it were. So I was pretty wiped out on Thursday. Friday, I was back to relatively normal, and I was certainly ready for the fundraiser on Saturday. Um, for those that uh, weren't with us last week, I ended up uh, being the master of ceremonies at a fundraiser for a local uh, nonprofit, and it all went really, really well. It's interesting. The uh, um, I had not worn a necktie in something like 16 years. But they had a special deal going on with that. Well, they had... As I recall. Well, it's not a special deal. It was kind of like one of those things where I asked, please don't make me wear a tie when I got volunteered to do this. But then I came up with this idea. There's a fairly neat um, uh, logo that they've used on some of their uh, the T-shirts that they can, uh, that they sell to, uh, to supporters. And it's literally the, the, the organization basically rescues animals in the literal sense. You know, dogs gone off cliffs, uh, horses that have fallen down, that kind of thing. So one of these uh, images is a dog strapped, uh, strapped up and hanging on a rope. 
Uh, it's actually, as it turns out, it was a, a training exercise where they did this. There's a picture of it as well. Oh, so it's an actual picture. Well, there, there is an actual picture, but one of the other people in the organization is an artist. She turned it into a drawing that is actually used now on, on T-shirts that can be purchased and so forth. And I said, this would look great on a tie. Just, you know, have the dog hanging at the bottom of the tie and then the rope going all the way up my neck. And it worked. It turned out really, really well. It actually um, uh, uh, got more commentary than my own uh, performance. So I, I will take that uh, you know, as a good thing either way. Um, and what all the listeners want to know mm. is, is there a picture? So there is not a picture yet. Um, it's a one-of-a-kind one kind tie. Quite literally, they just went out to Zazzle. Um, to, to get it printed up. Uh, it turned out, like I said, it turned out beautifully. It really did. Uh, but I don't have a picture of the tie. Uh, they don't have an online shop on their website. And yes, that's something we're working on. So I can't even show you a picture of the shirt with the original diagram. But as soon as I uh, uh, get a picture of myself, because there was a lot of, uh, there were two photographers working the event, um, I'll certainly make that available and, and post it somewhere. We'll put it on the show page. Sure. So check back later if you uh, don't find it now. Yep. And the other thing that was quite coincidental is that I actually had my annual physical on Friday. So it was very, um, very coincidental that I got sick as a dog and then two days later got to talk to the doctor about it. Hmm. So I seem to be healthy. Well, very good. How would you do, Gary? You know, uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, I was busy just doing my normal work. But I did. It was unusual in that I was at the same time I was working on my next mobile game. I was doing something that is similar, but almost the opposite. I was creating a puzzle book, like actually a book on paper. We talked previously about my last game, which was a nonograms game, which is like a Sudoku-like puzzle. And Kevin had suggested that I do a printed book through CreateSpace. So I modified my app to instead of producing uh, puzzles you can play, you know, uh, on the screen to actually produce a PDF of 300 puzzles and worked on getting that made to a book. Um, but it's kind of, you know, there's a weird, strange irony there of, you know, working on these uh, games that are played on, you know, mobile phones, but then also using them produce a book that could have existed, uh, you know, 200 years ago. <laughs> um, same technology. So, so it'll be interesting. It's my first time in all the uh, years I've been working on games uh, that I've ever created a book product that is a, a game. So yeah, interesting experience, learning experience doing that on CreateSpace. So is that book available yet? Or? Not yet. I, I did the thing where I, you know, selected to have them send me a proof, right? which is almost certainly going to be fine. The PDF looked fine and all of that. Did you look at the, they do also have a, a digital proof where we yeah. can actually look at it right yeah, away. I did that too. The first time they actually messed it up a bit. Um, I had to make some changes, but, uh, but anyway, so I'm waiting for that. That'll probably arrive tomorrow, I think. And, uh, and yeah, the, uh, you know, if that looks okay, I'll, I'll click the button to make that available yep. for sale. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to promote it at all. 
I should at least at least make it available to our listeners so that they yeah, know yeah. what Eckler's talking about. So we can make sure that there's a link in the show. I'll notes. put a link on the show page as soon sure. as Gary has it. it. Yeah, um, it's, it's funny because I'm actually circling that same. Um, I don't want to call it a drain, but <laughs> yeah, really. Um, I've got a uh, a book that I'm waiting for a, a physical proof on as well. Uh, that as soon as it comes, I check it out. I can hit it. It's the backing up in Windows 10 book. The um, my experience with CreateSpace to date has been that the digital proofer is actually like 99% fine. It's enough. Um, I wanted to run this one through physical paper, uh, just A, because there's just something about having a book in your hand, but um, B, there were a couple of changes I made this time. So it's just good to see it in in physical form before releasing it to the universe. Yeah, I think if I develop more books, um, either nonograms or some other puzzle games or things, I probably will just skip the, uh, I I don't want all these books lying around anyway um, oh i do i want i want i want a physical copy in fact um if if anybody ever takes a look at any of my um, um videos where i'm talking to the camera in the background on the shelves behind me i have several of them lined up it's very cool yeah well i've got plenty of my computer books they send them to me whether i like it or not um you know it's funny yet so i've been writing computer books since the 90s and i think my first one was 1996 and i remember you know, they, they send you a certain amount of author copies. Um, and usually it's around 10 or so uh, for computer books. And it, originally I, I kind of lo- would always beg for more. It's like only 10. Oh, can't you send me 20 you know, in the contract, send me 20 or maybe I get 10 and then I just beg for more. Do you have any extras? And eventually <laughs> after like my 20th to 30th computer book, you know, I started being like, can you just reduce that number? I just don't need a box of 10 of these. You know, I mean, my series, my iPad is now on the 10th edition. It's like, I don't need another box of 10 my iPads lying around. Just send me three. I'm just happy with Fine. one, you know? I, yeah. Just, I, just so, something physical, tangible, whatever. I mean, we spend, I mean, we all spend so much time in the digital world, which is, you know, it's awesome, it's fun, it's cool, but there is just something to be said for having something you've produced physically in your hands. At least it is for me. So if nothing else, you should have a copy of every one of your books on your bookshelf. Yeah. I guess. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Gary. For the well, I do. It, it, currently I do. And this nonograms book will be no different. It will be on my bookshelf somewhere. I actually have a huge library. It's it's three bookcases of books that are not about nothing other than games. So old games books like Hoyle's book of card game rules and the Oxford Encyclopedia of Games, and there's just tons of them. Going back to H.G. Wells's uh, Little Wars book, which is one of the first books on games. Um, so it's a whole little library I've collected over the years as a game developer, and it'll be neat to add one title to that that is actually, you know, Book of Nonograms and with, by me. Actually, it doesn't even have my name on it. It just has the name of my company. Hmm. So um, it'd be neat to add that to that uh, you know, to that collection to tell the rest of my books are about computers and programming. Speaking of adding data to a collection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good Thank transition. You. Nice. I hear Facebook is doing some of that. Well, the headline in Ars Technica is Facebook scraped call text message data for years from Android phones. Maybe check your data archive to see if Facebook's algorithms know who you called. So it's interesting. Um, I went ahead and grabbed my archive. Um, needless to say, it's fairly large. I've been on Facebook for several years. And uh, the short answer is, you know, no, they're not arbitrarily 
uh, sucking up my, uh, my text messaging or my call data. And just to be clear, do you have the Facebook app on your phone? Absolutely. I okay. do. I have both Facebook app and Facebook Messenger. So there's a couple of things that are going on here. There's a, still, in my mind, there's a lot of confusion about exactly what criteria have to be met before they actually do start sucking up this data. There's no question that in some cases they are sucking up data. There's some question about exactly what that data is and what all those cases are. For example, um, the statement that I read on a, a Facebook blog post was that uh, if you, when you install the Facebook app, you are asked if you want to share your contacts with Facebook at that time. The way I read it, that is the decision point. Uh, most of us, well, a lot of us say no for the obvious privacy reasons. And I think that at that point, it's conceivable that then they ignore us for the rest of time. For those that have said yes, then it gets kind of interesting. I don't know whether they're, whether they're actually paying attention to arbitrary uh, text messages or arbitrary phone calls, or are they just paying attention to the SMS messages that you send using the Facebook app or the Facebook Messenger app? Because you can send SMS, true SMS, using Facebook's Messenger app in which case I would ex kind of expect them to, to pay attention and keep a history of um, what you, not what you texted, but who you texted. Um, so that part gets really confusing. Also, this concept of scraping the call and text message data, what does that mean? They're not recording your phone calls. Are they keeping the data? Are they keeping the body of your texts? I don't think so. The only thing I've ever seen so far has been uh, what we would normally call the metadata. Uh, the data that says, I called this person at that time and it lasted that long. Or I sent a message to this person at that time and they sent a message to me at that time. But the actual contents of the message isn't, um, isn't included. So there's a fair amount of, of still confusion remaining about exactly what's happening and when it's happening. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of clarification that will or hopefully will come up in the next few days. But naturally, the pet peeve that I've talked about here a lot is that the media immediately jumps at the most, onto the most extreme case. Uh, where, you know, all of a sudden they say that Facebook is collecting data on everybody, all of your phone calls, all of your text messages not necessarily taint necessarily so. Well, and the Ars Technica article does have a screen cap from this guy named Dylan McKay, who apparently broke this story and it shows the phone number, the call type, outgoing, incoming, missed, the start time, the duration. One of his calls was 446 minutes. Wow. <laughs> and the name of the person they called and there's a, Another column that says number labeled, it's blank all the way down. Right. That he apparently did not um, black out because the things he blacked out are clearly blacked out. Right. So, you know, I don't even want Facebook having my phone book. I've actually got some people in there that, you know, they probably have Steve Wozniak's phone number already anyway, but I don't want to be the person to leak it. <laughs> so it's interesting because, like I said, when I installed the Facebook app, um, I 
definitely said no to sharing contacts. However, um, I did at some point, uh, apparently, enable that uh, because in looking at my download of my Facebook data, yep, all my contacts are in there, including all of the phone numbers that I have for them and mm. such. But it's not, hasn't been tracking my phone calls and it hasn't been tracking my SMS messages. At so, least that you know of. That was included in the data, right? And that's right. where people are getting this. This is where this Ars Technica fellow found it. It's in the data download. So it's not like they're hiding it from us. Uh, you know, they're not, it, it's there if they've done it, presumably. Um, so, and it's not there for me. So it's, that's why one of the reasons that I lean towards this initial installation setting potentially being one of the determining factors about whether or not you're impacted. So uh, in, the, in the iOS world, for the iPhone people, um, this is not an issue because uh, Apple doesn't allow developers to access anything about the phone or messaging app, the built-in messaging app, um, which usually is talked about in a negative light uh, up until now. <laughs> like people will complain, for instance, that they can't get an app on, on their iPhone that will say block spam numbers or they can't get an app that can you know do some certain function like rerouting their phone calls or or doing things these apps are available on android but on the iphone can't be done because you can't you know as a developer create an app that has anything to do with the, the telephone portion of the phone or the the standard messages app on the phone but the reason Apple did it was for privacy reasons, so that apps couldn't access that data. And turns out now that's kind of relevant. It is. It's, a, it's an interesting trade-off. I mean, all of these things are trade-offs, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely run an app, at least one. I've been through so many over the years. I run at least one right now that lets me send and receive text messages from my computer. Mm -hmm. And I do that by installing and running an app on my phone that then has access to the SMS messaging engine in Android. Uh, clearly, that kind of a thing wouldn't be, a as a third-party app, that wouldn't be available no. uh, on yeah, the Apple. iPhone. Yeah, Apple has that, for, for Mac users anyway, has that as a built-in um, you know, function. Sure, and that's, that would be the Apple way, right? right? For anything that's sensitive like that, Apple is going to do it for you, or it's just not going to get done. Right. So, uh, so that's, you know, but you still can give co your contacts, you know, access to apps. And I believe, you know, it's been years since I first installed Facebook on a phone, but I believe, you know, you can do that function where it can suck all your contacts in and then uh, you can you know, look for friends you may not be friends with on Facebook based, based on your, your contacts. And then of course, other apps use contacts all the time. Even things like word processors will do things like take the names out of your contacts and then use them for, you know, uh, auto correcting and spell checking and things like that. So it's very common to grab contacts for all sorts of apps, but no access to the, the actual phone data. You know, and another interesting aspect of this is there is, uh, besides Facebook, there are a few large corporations that I don't know if people trust or not or how much they do that have complete access to your call logs and data down to every detail of what you did. And in messaging, perhaps the messages as well. Matter of fact, I'm sure the message well. And that's, that's the, uh, the phone companies, AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, Verizon in the United States. 
they have all that data. You can actually look it up on your account uh, to go in and check. And uh, a lot of times people forget that. And, and if you're concerned about privacy, these companies, uh, these phone companies, they always seem extremely eager <laughs> at the drop of a hat to hand over your call logs uh, to uh, any right. government. Uh, they're they're the ones that absolutely do that. I think one clarification that's really important to make here too is that, especially when it comes to messaging, what we're talking about here and what's you know what this Führer is all about is literally the phone-based stuff, the SMS, the short message service um, function of the telephone system. Technically, it is part of the telephone and not the internet. Now, what we discovered a while back is that, yes, the apps, the messaging apps may use the internet as a backup if the phone isn't there, or they may use it primarily. I don't know. They may make it look like that. But the fundamental technology here is a phone-based technology, not an internet-based technology. When you start looking at other messaging apps and the, the privacy thing is what, what sent me off in this direction. If you start looking at messaging apps like Signal or WhatsApp or any of those, that's completely unrelated to this little furor, this little hubbub, because they are separate. They keep their own data. Uh, you're trusting them as individual applications as opposed to Facebook as the platform that they're running on. In A, you're trusting that they're well-written, so that you know they aren't leaking data to Facebook or to the other apps, but you're also trusting that when they say they're encrypted, like both Signal and WhatsApp do, that they are, that it literally is end-to-end encrypted and things are in fact private. But I think that that's an important distinction because things operate so similarly between the two technologies. I think a lot of people may not even understand or realize just exactly which technology they're using every time they send a message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the terms are used interchangeably. I've, I've noticed that. Yeah, you, you have to be specific. People say, I have a messaging issue and it's like which one? WhatsApp or yeah. Snapchat or yeah. whatever. And, and it gets even muddier because... Um, you know, Facebook Messenger, okay, that's a messaging app. WhatsApp, okay, that's supposedly secure, but it's owned by Facebook, and we're starting to not trust them even a little bit less, right? So it's, <laughs> it's, it gets really confusing really quickly to understand exactly um, where the, uh, the concerns really are. And I was kind of amused this morning when I looked at the news on my phone. One of the top headlines was that, Facebook stock was diving because of all this. And the thing I thought was pretty darn funny is they closed up today. Mm. Yeah, I think the market rebounded today from a, from a general downtrain. Yeah, it was a big, just uh, read the, rode the wave. Yeah. 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 A, a lot of times uh, I know, I mean, Facebook is just included in a handful of fun, funds that, uh, you know, when the market's this positive, uh, people are just buying those funds. And right. Facebook stock will go up. And and to perhaps be just a tad on the cynical side, um, issues like this, they almost always blow over. So if you are a stock picker, one of the things that you might very well do is start salivating as soon as this kind of bad news comes out, the stock starts to go down because you're going to pick a price point and you're going to buy and that's going to start sending the stock back up. So I'm... It's, it's, yeah, it was cute that the stock went down this morning, but I don't really see a lot of, of long-term impact for this issue um, on, on Facebook's overall market value. 
Yeah, I don't think anybody's debating that Facebook wants to improve, you know, in general. I mean, they may not improve in the way that everybody wants. <laughs> but well, when I look at Zuckerberg's full-page ad that he took out in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Washington Post, and a bunch of UK papers, the headline is, we have a responsibility to protect your information. If we can't, we don't deserve it. The flip side of the coin is, when you read the text, it says that we expect there are others, as in other data breaches. Mm. So he's pretty much sending a signal out there trying to blunt maybe criticism in the future when this happens again, that he, he can say, no, I warned you that that was going to happen. There's that. But at least the attitude is right that we have to, and if we don't, we're not doing the right thing. Part of me says he's saying that because it's what he's supposed to say. I mean, the Part other thing, it, sure. if, you know, if, if we're not dealing with it, we shouldn't have it. It's too late. That cat is so far out of the bag. He's, they've got the data. Right? Well, they, but it's old data. It's stale data. And, and yet it's still incredibly valuable. It, is it? Uh, so I, I can, I've thought a lot about this today, okay. about the data. Um, I mean, if you look at your stuff on Facebook, like the stuff that you would be concerned about, uh, you know, it started way back at the beginning. I was a Facebook user from, you know, the moment it left university only status, you know, and the general public could sign up. Uh, you know, first it, they ask you to like stuff, you know, what are your favorite bands? What are your favorite TV shows? You know, how do you feel about, you know, politics and, you know, what are your interests and things like that? And, Sure, everybody, I think, spends some time fascinated with that and loves checking off those little boxes, uh, thinking about who they are. Um, but I think in general, most people, maybe like 80, 90 percent of people, it's got to be really high number, just don't keep up with that stuff. I know I don't. You know, I'll get a, a, a little notification on Facebook, you know, something on my wall that says, some, you know, a DVD release of some movie that, it's like, why is that there? And I'm like, oh, yeah, because I think like 10 years ago, I probably checked off that I, this was one of my favorite movies. But it was 10 years ago. And I haven't even gone into that section of Facebook where it's asked what my favorite movies are, what my opinions are about things. I just don't keep up with it. And a lot of people never fill that stuff out. Sometimes I look to see like what people put in their like about pages and stuff and where do people work now. And, so, and that stuff's just blank for lots of people. They just sign up and they just use it as a communication tool. I, I don't know how valuable that stuff is. I think it gets stale, and I think a lot of people don't fill it out. There's even a – it reminds me of there's an episode of Black Mirror. I think it's from the first season maybe where um, you know, the, uh, the, uh, a woman's husband dies, and they create, she creates a robot, or she orders a robot that imitates him based on his, everything he's posted online. And early in that episode, he hears a, he's singing along with the song. She says, I didn't know you liked that group. And he goes, oh, yeah, I guess I do. And she says, I've never seen you post about it. And he goes, I don't think I've ever posted about liking this group. And, of course, later on, the robot has no idea, you know, no idea about this, this rock group. And uh, it's kind of the same thing. It's like your social media profile is, I think, just a very I – don't, I don't think it's as valuable as I – can, I can think of two ways. Yeah. Uh, Two, two significant pieces of value that actually persist. Um, even, if, even if I were to stop using Facebook today, uh, things that would be valuable, say, five or 10 years from now would include 
um, evidence of my political leanings because those are unlikely to change over that period of time. And that's the kind of information that when leaked clearly has been shown to be used to influence people, to connect with people, to uh, rile them up as the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one of the big pieces of value that I think uh, a lot of the, whether the data is breached or shared with outside parties, and that's another discussion we can have in a minute. Um, the, the concept is that the, your social media profile over whatever period of time does indicate some unchanging or less likely to change characteristics about you and your personality that can then be used uh, to infer things in the future. The other one, and this is something that I, that the, the amount of data that's being collected uh, doesn't surprise me. I mean, actually, there was a breach related to this publicly a couple of years ago, is your connections. People know who you're connected to. And again, those are things that by and large don't, don't you know, don't change very much. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, like, you know, the two of you, we've been connected on Facebook for multiple years. And barring disaster, we will continue to be connected on Facebook for several years into the future. I have seen spam that looks like it comes from people I know, not necessarily with their email address. We've all seen this, but it's the actual, the full name of the person with a bogus email address. What the spammers are doing is that they're using this information that's been gleaned from social media, most notably a Facebook leak some years ago, to use the relationships that we have to fool us into thinking that an email is legitimate when it's not. And I know that this is, uh, you know, you and I and Randy were all, you know, astute enough to, to take a look at what the spam looks like. We know spam when we see it. We, we know fake email addresses when we see it. Um, but some of them have gotten pretty close, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if that technique weren't being used by spammers based on Facebook data uh, to fool people. And I'm sure it is. I, I get those all the time. And, you know, it, it says Leo Notenboob is the sender, sender, but I didn't know you had a, you know, random address at Yahoo. And that's what you use to send me yeah, the links ones, to the suspect ones, sites. The ones that get me are the, um, the email addresses that are like .jp or .ru or something like that. In other words, you know, foreign countries where I'm even less likely to have a uh, right. email address. Right. And that stuff's been around for a while and it is a problem. Most notably, it was a a big vulnerability with Yahoo groups um, because what would happen is uh, Yahoo wasn't breached. It was just if your computer was breached, you know, your non-updated PC was, you know, breached by a virus or whatever uh, years and years ago. Um, It could simply read your email. And if you belong to any Yahoo groups, it could very easily see every member of that Yahoo group. And then they use that data to send out spam that looked like it came. It, it could not even involve you. You could be person A and it looked in your Yahoo group and found person B in that group and person C in that group and right. sent person B an email from person C. And you do that a million times and you're getting a lot of people saying, uh, you know, person C telling person B that, Hey, your, your, uh, your account was hacked when, right. 
neither B or C had anything to do with it. It was person A's account that was hacked. Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, and it's it's tricky. And of course, it also is just complex enough that most uh, computer users, there's, it's beyond uh, explaining to them. Because right. just one level of complexity beyond, uh, you know, somebody without a, you know, IT background would be it's able it. to... It's interesting because of the two issues that I raised, spam is probably the easiest to understand because we all get spam, but probably the least or the lesser of the two evils. I'm actually a little bit more concerned about how um, like these, these fake accounts on Facebook mm. are being used to influence politics or to influence other kinds of um, um, social uh, movements and social opinion. Um, and that's why I mentioned earlier that it's also a little unclear as to what constitutes a breach. So this um, um, whole issue of a company contracting with Facebook to get some of the data and use it under certain terms. Well, okay, Facebook, I guess, can do that. I haven't read Facebook's terms of servants, but I would assume that they've written in a clause that allows them to not necessarily sell the data, but I'll say license the data to third parties, uh, potentially for revenue or potentially for things related to Facebook. And then when that third party goes off and does something outside of that contract, which is what I understand happened, and they then use that data to start influencing elections, that's when things get scary. That's when things get weird. Was it a breach? Well, it was a breach of contract, perhaps, but not necessarily a data breach. Uh, and yet, those are, the, those are the phrases that are being bantied about. I don't know what the answer is, but I think that a lot more clarity about exactly what is going on here would probably go a long way to help understand exactly what the next steps ought to be. So, Leo, you mentioned that they know what your probable political affiliation is, and they infer that from things you like and things you interact with, right. you can actually go in and see what Facebook thinks your political affiliation is among many other things. So if you go to facebook.com slash ads slash preferences and you have to log in so they know it's you, you can see some of the things that they think about you. So if you click on the lifestyle and culture tab and under that there is um, some interests and one of them is U.S. politics. And you can click on that and see what they think. And when I did that, they were completely wrong. And part of that is because I just click like and encouragement on people who post really thoughtful things, whether they're right wing or left wing. And apparently it got the wrong idea based on you know how many times I clicked on this or that or what they thought was in there. But you can also say, there's also a thing that's advertisers you've interacted with. And this is where you see that things aren't necessarily very accurate. So when I look at mine, who, who has my contact info even? eBay in Germany. I'm quite sure I've never bid on anything on eBay in Germany. eBay in Canada. Viking River Cruises, no. Uber Eats, no. That's not available in my area. What time is it? Wine o'clock is one of the advertisers. I don't like wine. So I'm pretty sure I haven't interacted with these things. But some I, would, other I would be willing to bet that, in fact, you have. That's one of the other things that makes this so complicated. Right. It, it's unclear, but simply liking 
a post that was posted by an account associated with one of those things could be an interaction. Even if it was just like a funny meme or something. Yes, it absolutely could be. And that would, you know, or if you interact in any way with a promoted post, that could be a way. That's what makes so much of this complicated. The other thing that is also extremely complicated or extremely confusing is what Facebook calls an app. You and I, and I think most people would consider apps to be computer programs, uh, games that you might play with Facebook. Uh, Farmville is the canonical example of one that basically almost took over Facebook some years ago. Um, it's, it's an app. It's a game you play. You're playing it within the Facebook um, construct. And yet, as we've seen for so- hooking up some of our websites to social media in order to be able to post automatically, our site has to create what they call an app ID. So Ask Leo is a Facebook app, but I'm not a program. I'm not an app. I'm just a website. And yet, um, if you take a look under apps, if you, you know, any of the things that would list your interactions with apps would include not just the games you've played, but potentially also some of the websites you've interacted with as well. Hmm. It's interesting looking at mine, and, and this, I guess, does not uh, const- uh, isn't a data breach because I'm voluntarily telling the world <laughs> under right. lifestyle and culture. It doesn't have any idea politically what I'm interested in, which is a pretty good reflection of the fact that I don't post about politics on Facebook that much. Um, but I'm interested apparently in metaphors, whatever that means. And, and, <laughs> what does and, that mean? And 4k resolution. Huh. Yes, I am interested in 4K resolution, no doubt about it. <laughs> so I went ahead and looked at lifestyle and culture for me. And uh, yeah, there's some that's just, you know, way off the mark. Some of it is clearly, as you described, Randy, things that I've um, interacted with, usually posts that I've liked or, or sentiments that I've agreed with, whether or not I agree with the underlying um, uh, movement or organization. Um, but one they just nailed right on. Apparently, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I don't have that. I want that. How do I get that? And, and yeah. I've, also, I've also got uh, sarcasm is in there. Eh. Oh, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, and it's, sure it is. Cl- Klingon is off the mark, right? I don't speak Klingon. Uh, it's just, it's interesting. You're right, Randy, that there's a lot that they get wrong, or at least that's difficult to explain. But there's enough that they get right that it becomes usable. It's useful. Um, I think, uh, Gary, the fact that you've been able to avoid uh, being political on Facebook and that it actually reflects this well in what Facebook thinks of you mm. is amazing. Yeah. And I also think it's not the norm. Um, it's, it's not what people do. People will see something that, as always, agrees with their preconceived notions and they'll hit like. And all of a sudden, Facebook understands them. I, yeah, I think I have to retract a lot of what I said earlier because uh, it does seem it's picked a lot of stuff, you know, just in terms of all the little things I've clicked on and all of that. And you don't necessarily need to go in and, you know, say, this is what I like and this is what I don't like. And I'm going to maintain my profile. It seems to be trying to do that on its own. Um, doesn't seem to be doing it very accurately. You can, when you see an interest in there that you don't like or you don't really care about, you can hover it and then X will pop up and you can remove that. So why they've got me interested in accounting and taxes, I do not know, but I can just click on that and say, no, no. Well, I know. I'll bet I know exactly why. You probably liked a page 
that's related to your accountant or, yes. or say to a mutual friend who does quick, QuickBooks um, right. accounting. Exactly. Right? I, I'm sure that's why. But, you know, I, I really don't have an interest in getting ads about right. taxes now, and accounting. Here's a question. So we've got the ability to remove things that are wrong. Why would we want to do that? Oh, it's what? just giving them more information, huh? Why exactly? Why not let them be misinformed? That's a good point. We could, but you could spend uh, some time every week intentionally trying to misinform them, sure. right? <laughs> Going to different things and uh, just show me ads on Kabuki Theater, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need to go find some more Klingon sites. Actually, some of the stuff that I, uh, you know thinking that a lot of this information is used to show you ads, some of the stuff that annoys me the most are ads from products that I do like and have in fact bought, but now I'm seeing ads for them. I don't need to see the ads. I already have one. <laughs> That's know? actually nothing new and it's certainly yeah. not related to Facebook. That's just general retargeting. That's just general, but yeah, I, yeah, I wish, uh, sometimes I wish I would see those either on Facebook or Amazon or the like, just some sort of way to indicate that no, I don't want this ad to go away because I I hate this car brand or I hate this brand of camping gear. I want I want it to go away because I've actually brought this product already, and I don't need to see the ad anymore. But I do like them, you know. So, whatever, whatever that's worth. Well, it does but, have me accurately liking chocolate and coffee. Oh, that's probably they just probably turn that on for everybody, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. I don't see coffee in mine. That's a real mess. What? Yeah, that's, that's a massive fail. That's a massive fail. And I, I'm pretty sure you have used the word Starbucks in your Facebook posts many Once, times. Once, three or four thousand times. Once or twice. Yes. Oh, that's pretty funny. Hmm. Yeah, indeed. Well, anyway, I but so. I, I think, Gary, you were, you were saying something offline that, you know, that indeed – you know, Facebook is using what we do. That shouldn't be a surprise. No. Um, and if it's something that you dislike, well, you have an option. And that is stop using Facebook. This is the cost of free. Or um, you can just tell them to stop doing that and they will. Will they? Yeah, I, I think so in general. I mean, if I clicked that I didn't want coffee ads anymore. Oh, no, 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 I think no, no, it no. Would I'm not saying specifically. Wrap it down. I'm not saying specifically ad by ad or category by category. I'm saying the cost of using Facebook is that Facebook gets to see what you do. If you right. don't want Facebook to see what you do, if you don't want them to collect that data, if you don't want them to tailor your experience however you want to, you know, however, whatever you want to consider an experience based on their understanding of you, then the only real way is to opt out, is to leave Facebook, is to use something else. Which takes me to the next subcategory in this discussion is the delete Facebook movement. Mm. And Elon Musk got in the headlines for deleting not only the SpaceX Facebook page, but also the Tesla Motors Facebook page. And the interesting thing about that was as soon as he did that, other ones popped up to try to get into that vacuum and get attention by pretending or maybe not being malicious about it, but just trying to get traffic that SpaceX and Facebook would have gotten. 
They had something like a million followers each or something like that. Yeah. Didn't they? So, something yeah. in that range. That was pretty, pretty lucrative uh, audience that they were leaving behind. I loved his comment that, you know, something about the, the look of one or the other. I think it was the SpaceX page. He just didn't like the look. He thought it was ugly, um, but it didn't matter because he was leaving anyway. Right. And that, that comment, when he made that comment, it reminded me of uh, the fact that before there was Facebook, there was another company occupying that space that everybody thought would be around forever uh, called MySpace. I mean, we really thought MySpace was going to be a permanent thing, right? Um, and Facebook didn't exist yet. But, and the funny thing was that MySpace pages, one of the things about them is they were ugly. Yeah. Um, it was a problem they never got the, had the time to solve before they, MySpace kind of went away. And, um, you know, the bands and people that signed up for MySpace, they didn't care. They, they tried to make their pages more, more and more ugly. There are a lot of people that did that. Uh, but uh, a lot of the uh, times when companies would create a MySpace page um, and then when they left it like a year later when everybody was leaving MySpace, uh, that was a common excuse people used a lot, I heard, was, well, we weren't, you know, the MySpace thing was really something we want to get into. And besides, our pages there were just so ugly, we could make them look nice, so we're leaving. And now what? we're hearing that same thing about Facebook. Mm, well, we've, we've, heard it, we've heard it from one person, admittedly. Well, yes. <laughs> well, there is a movement. It is more than one person. But. Well, now, now let's, let's be clear. Facebook is ugly came from one person. This Facebook page right. is like, yeah. the ugly comments, but, but so the elite Facebook is a movement, but, but and to get back to accelerated the, by this data breach to get to the ugly, back to the ugly thing for a minute. I think that it's an argument that MySpace was too lenient. They gave you too much control over what your page looked like. If you take a look at Facebook, ugly or pretty, it's relatively consistent across all pages and across all users. Mm -hmm. That, I think, works in its favor. That might be what Musk was complaining about. I don't know. But the fact is, it's at least consistent. So it's not like one individual is going to um, have a page that's significantly uglier than anything else. Yes, a lot of people, I, I, you know, I don't even know if it's a lot of people. Certainly, there's a lot of news about people leaving Facebook. I use Social Fixer. And one of the things that it does is it will tell you when you've been unfriended by somebody or when somebody's page is no longer accessible. Unfortunately, it can be a little inconsistent. I've seen people come and go and come and go over, slowly over time. And it's not because they've done anything. I think it's just because somebody lost track of something for a day or two. But in the last couple of days, I have had like about two or three additional people disappear from my friends list. And I'm seeing that too. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. <laughs> Probably the same people. It's interesting though, because... It's not a huge number of people compared to the number of friends I have, but it is a number of people and it's absolutely they're right. Like I said, if that's, if, if, if you don't like what Facebook is doing, there's your answer. Uh, I, you know, hopefully you'll find alternatives to make the connections that you've been making on Facebook. But bottom line is if you're not willing to pay the price, then sure, this is the right thing to do. The one thing I definitely want I think certainly if you're considering closing your Facebook account, download your Facebook data first. And in fact, I'd actually recommend downloading your Facebook data and just sort of poke it around in it. See what the information is that Facebook has on you. Um, I think you'll be surprised. I think you'll be, um, some people might be horrified. Uh, 
the rest of us who kind of you know, have been expecting this and understand what Facebook has been doing for a while. Uh, not so much. There is a lot of it if you've been around for a long time. It's not hard to browse. Uh, they actually will generate a nice big zip file for you that you can download. And as soon as you unzip it, there's an index.htm, I think it is, in the root of the result that you could just double click on. And all of a sudden, you've got a browser interface to all the information that's stored on your machine that is a representation of uh, everything that Facebook has on you. It includes your contacts, your connections, your photos, your videos, um, basically, theoretically, almost everything you've done on Facebook since the day you signed up. It's, it's worth perusing. I encourage people to take a look around in it just to get a better understanding of what it is they're doing when they use Facebook. I agree. And also look to see, do, does it have a phone log of everybody you've called. And I'll bet you for 99% is going to be no. I would, I would agree. I think that 99% is, well, maybe a little high, but it's certainly, um, you know, well over half, uh, probably not going to see an issue here. I do think that a lot of this is, I don't want to say alarmist because I don't really know what the percentage is. I mean, if it really is 25 I'm just guessing. If it really is 25% of people have their call logs in there, that's a big deal. Um, But I'd be surprised if it were that high. Yeah. And just to back up a little bit, MySpace does still exist. It's now owned <laughs> by Time Magazine, and it's a part of the People slash Entertainment Weekly Network. But Can you still open a my MySpace old page account? on there, they disappeared it some time ago. Yeah, mine's gone too. I used to have one. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> just the celebrities, I guess. Yeah. Just the, the pretty people get to... Yeah. My space. That reminds me, I should probably go ahead and just delete that entry out of my password manager. It's long gone. <laughs> right. If it's that old, it's been compromised anyway. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, do you uh, want to move on? Yeah, I think we, I think, uh, we have a, not as controversial items, but we've got a couple of things. I, I think this is uh, it's a little quieter, but I think this is a big week in the history of uh, tablets, of the piece of hardware we call tablets, because couple things going on. First, uh, yesterday, today, actually, uh, Monday, uh, Google uh, announced a, the first Chrome OS tablet. So this is, you know, different than most tablets that are, you know, involve Google, which would be Android operating system tablets. Chrome OS is a, is a, you know, different operating system. It's, for their Chromebooks, laptops, and things like that. But now they're going to have, uh, the, later this spring, you'll be able to buy for $329 a, a tablet, standard size tablet, like 9.7-inch screen, um, that runs Chrome OS, which is interesting because it's then completely compatible with Chromebooks and other computers that use the Chrome OS. Um, and they're doing that on purpose because it's the education market that, you know, really embraces tablets. And I guess there are a lot of schools that use Chromebooks. And this gives those schools the option to say, well, you can have Chromebooks and you can have these tablets. And they're all up running the same apps and all of that. And then uh, the, the reason they probably did that today was because tomorrow, Tuesday, Apple is having an event uh for educators, and it's highly rumored that this is going to uh, feature an announcement of a new iPad. And it's the iPad's not going to have any big new feature or anything like that, other than a much lower price point. The rumor is it's going to be like two two hundred forty nine dollars, but for a full size, 
9.7 inch iPad that may also include support for the Apple Pencil, which up until now has only been available for people that have an iPad Pro, not the regular iPad. But the use of a stylus uh, is something that a lot of schools use, and and uh, either they use uh, iPads that don't support the Apple Pencil, so they're using third-party uh, stylus, or um, they're using an Android tablet that supports a stylus. Um, the Apple Pencil is 100 bucks, but I'm guessing if they do go this way with a $249 uh, iPad that supports Apple Pencil, that they're also going to uh, announce a price drop there, and we'll see like a $49 or $69 Apple Pencil, perhaps even maybe uh, a package deal for schools where they get that maybe the Apple Pencil thrown in for free. But you know, this is a big, big price drop uh, on both sides uh, of uh, you know the Apple and non-Apple side of the tablets, um, and I, it is all lined up to hit the school, you know, the education market for this fall. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think this is like the, the, it may signify that there's no new developments happening in tablets right now. So the only place to go for everybody is price. So Gary, I haven't actually looked at the, um, the Chrome OS tablet. Yeah. I know that one of the recent changes to Chrome OS over the last year has been, uh, enabling the ability to run Android applications. In other words, they had access to the full Google Play Store. Yeah. You know if that's the case here? I don't, but I would I would imagine if th- that would be something that they'd want to do. Now they have a, a you know a few months until this thing comes out. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, release in the spring. Um so it could be that uh could be they said yes, it could be that they they we won't know until later. Um and we don't know anything about Apple's offering. You know, Apple sometimes does an announcement like it's two hundred forty-nine dollars and available now, and sometimes they do two hundred forty-nine dollars and it's available, you know, three months from now. So right. we'll have right. to see if it, you know how fast this is all going to change. But uh, it'll be very interesting to see on the Chrome side exactly um, what's enabled, how much of the Android, you know, how much of the Android um, uh, marketplace actually works, how well they work, uh, because that. You know, if that's what it does, if it basically turns into a Chrome OS with all of your Android apps available, mm-hmm. um, that's a pretty big deal. Just like you know, in the iPads, in the Apple ecosystem, and sure, just having that iPad in that same ecosystem at that same price point is a big deal. But having them be truly competitive with each other like this is actually very, very good. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be interesting. It'll, I think it'll definitely keep the uh, the tablets. Uh, dominating that education market and kind of the low end, you know, people that don't need a PC, right. you know, 249 bucks and you've got or 249 or $329 and you've got a, you know, something you could surf the web, you could play games, you could uh, right. email, uh, you could use do Facebook. Facebook. Use Facebook. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm actually probably going to get one of the iPads. I, I'm, you know, very solidly a windows and Android kind of guy. But, you know, sometimes there are apps and things that are only available on the iPad that I sure. am interested in and yeah. would want to be able to try them out. Yeah, so, for 249 bucks, it's not that bad. For a brand, you know, getting a brand new. Exactly. That I assume has the pretty, pretty recent processor and everything like that. So, yeah. Fun stuff. So, All right. Uh, well, we, it's been about an hour. Yeah, yeah we're well, getting what, there. What have we been, what's, uh, what we got, what do we have coming up? You guys have anything coming up this uh, the rest of this week? 
Well, I already said I'm going to see Hamilton, and I'm really Hamilton, looking yeah. forward to that. That's going to yeah. be interesting. I did read the biography that it's based on, and it's a long read, but <laughs> boy, does that make you wish we, we had politicians like that today. He was a brilliant, brilliant guy. He invented the Coast Guard and you know the U.S. Treasury, on and on. Just an amazing mind. And he was one of many amazing minds that came together at a perfect point in history. Yeah, I haven't read that that one, but I have read bios of Franklin and Jefferson and Washington and um, a bunch of others. I should uh, Adams, of course. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it was a kind of an amazing group of people that all knew each other <laughs> at yeah. the time. You know, it's just, well, the world was smaller then too. It, it was, well, and they, the and country it was, was significantly smaller. Yes, and the other thing is, you know, we think politics are bad today. That you know, people aren't getting along. Well, you know, they didn't get along back then either. No. Right. But they used to duel, <laughs> though. So yeah, that's how Hamilton died. Yeah, exactly. The vice so, president shot and killed him. Yeah. Hey, you know, I mean, I guess if you didn't have all the outlets you have today to, you know, uh, do, you know, do your post cranky stuff on Facebook. Yeah. Tweet or, and all that stuff. Or, yeah. you, just, you just have a duel instead. And he says, let's just decide this right now instead of dragging it out for a while. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was weird times. And just, uh, you know, the, even short of the duels, the actual physical conflicts that would take place in the very same Capitol building we have today, where right. you know, lawmakers would actually fight each other, um, you know, over, over issues. Every once in a while you see that in the news from some foreign uh, legislature where they'll get into a, yeah. a, shouting, a fighting match of some sort. And every once in a while you think, you know, A, a on one hand, that's really weird. But on the other hand, maybe it wouldn't be such a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> you could just go up and slap somebody when you disagree with them. Yeah. And challenge them to a duel. Some people just deserve it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, this week, I don't know. I've got the usual stuff coming up. I've been working on some more um, videos that I'm slowly starting to roll out to YouTube. Uh, there'll be more on that to my readers uh, this coming, actually next week. But that's obviously, obviously work that ends up happening this week. Um, and it's uh, just another another week of work and random errands and petting the corgis and you know, <laughs> the usual yeah. drinking coffee. Mm, coffee. Mm. Excellent. Well, I think that's about wraps it up. All right. Well, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh17. You can sign up on the website for email updates that will let you know when there's a new episode posted or just subscribe in a podcast app on your Android or iPhone device. We're also on Twitter at the TEH podcast and on Facebook at facebook.com slash the TEH podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again here next Tuesday. Bye-bye. <laughs>